Three, two, one, and we're back. It's Sunday, first Sunday show of the year. Um, what is it? Sunday, January 10th. Yes. Wow, doesn't it feel like it should be like Sunday, April 10th at this point? Seriously. Right? I, I read something where I guess everybody's expectation was the calendar would turn over and then all would be sunshine and rainbows. Well. <laughs> and, you know, there has been a lot of good things that have happened in the past 10 days, but I think it's also maybe setting up for a lot of stuff to happen this year. So a, a reminder, or re- let's call it a warning, this is not our normal oh, yeah. Sunday podcast. <laughs> so this is the Sunday podcast where Julie and I defrag uh, from, the follow- or from the previous week and we prepare for the next week, the following week, and uh, share with you some just off-the-wall silly things that we go out of our way to uh, learn about. And we do that intentionally because we don't want to get stuck in our own echo chamber. So Julie and I will oftentimes will find different articles, usually things that are like un- impossible to believe. And send them around to each other and see if we can, you know, make each other laugh. Or occasionally we'll try to so, sort of solve a uh, intellectual Rubik's cube together, which is also kind of fun. And again, we do this intentionally because a we're intellectually curious. B we don't want to be complacent in any aspects of um, our certainly our lives. And the the main reason really is is because we want to keep ourselves frosty for all of you guys. Because if we just get caught again in our own echo chamber of what we believe to be true and that's the way it is, well then we're going to start doing a crappy job of being your guys as real estate coaches. So. We always have to look for things that are sort of pushing the boundaries, and we look intentionally for things that make us uncomfortable. But the one thing we never talk about, and again, I'm, I'm suggesting that maybe you guys mirror this as well, is we never talk about politics. Avoid talking about politics. Avoid talking about things that's going to make people not like you, <laughs> okay? Rule number one, yeah. if you want to be a good salesperson, if you want to sell you know, real estate in particular, make more people like you than dislike you. There it is. Well, and Tim, here's the thing. I have I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but you know, I take a look at the agent Facebook pages, see what people are talking about, um, all of that kind of stuff. And I would say, by and large, they're pretty well behaving themselves. Yeah, but then, then you'll come across a random just completely blown out salacious opinion piece and i here's what i think as a coach this person's gonna maybe have a listing appointment next week maybe with somebody who doesn't know them and maybe doesn't automatically agree with them and that person is going to go googling for information on that person and they're going to come across something like that and you know here's the thing even if they are of the same political mindset maybe they don't agree about being so overt about it or as extreme. And I just, I feel bad for those agents who don't get that. Even if they don't publicize their opinions on uh, social and whatnot, okay? Even if they don't fall prey to that, the simple fact is, is by focusing on politics, it's, it's in essence just focusing on stuff that's not going to bring you anything positive. It's not like you're getting any motivation from thinking about that stuff. It's right. just as frustrating and maybe even a little sad. So the reality of it is, is there's no upside in paying any attention to any of that garbage. Honestly, it just no. is. It's all salacious drama that's designed to basically distract you. And distract you from what? It's very simple. Being of service to other people. Right? right? I mean, and, Way and, off the reservation there, right? right? Way you, off if, track. If you really want to know whether or not you should be consuming some bit of information, ask yourself, honestly, your emotions do serve a fantastic, you know, they're a fantastic gauge. So check in with how you feel when you're listening to something. Check in how you feel when you're reading something. And if you find yourself feeling sort of dark and melancholy and depressed and angry or you're being manipulated somebody has figured out a way through you know essentially words usually or visual you know maybe it's a video or whatnot to manipulate you that's all they're trying to do so you are no longer in control of yourself and then what happens on the other side of them manipulating you is they're going to then try to take get you to take action that is usually not in your best interest it's in their best interest it's called manipulation
manipulation. So guys, listen, just do yourselves a favor. Remember, your, pay attention to how you feel, right? Notice how you're feeling. Ask yourself how you're feeling. Do that right now. How do you feel listening to me talking about feelings, right? <laughs> so how do you feel? And then constantly monitor your emotions because your, your emotions really are a fantastic barometer of whether you should or shouldn't be consuming a particular piece of information. Now, where you kind of go off the rails with that advice is that sometimes your emotions will actually, um, in a lot of ways, they'll, they'll betray you. It'll betray you. So for example, if you're trying to learn something new that is hard to do and your emotions are basically pushing back saying it's hard to do, that you can acknowledge that your emotions are telling you that it's hard to do, but don't... Uh, don't comply. Push forward because the best things in life are on the other side of the things that basically you want to do the least. And that's definitely the truth. Um, so, Julie, I know we have a lot of random things to share with them yeah. today, but I want to talk to um, – I was uh, – I discovered, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of them already know about this. But this app called Clubhouse. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I think – I've not ever come. I'm not overly enthusiastic about any apps. I mean, the, you know, sort of these I, Instagram and uh, you know even Twitter and uh, you could argue Facebook isn't really an app, but you, all these things they sort of have their benefits. And then um, when they come to market, you if you're uh, an early mover in the app and it becomes popular, then you have some sort of inherent advantage inside there and whatever, whatever. But this new Clubhouse app, I think it's actually really badass. And first of all, it's a beta tested uh, in beta version right now. Um, so you can't get in. You have to put yourself on a wait list unless you know somebody that has the app. And I've already used all my invitations, so don't ask me for an invitation to get into the app. But the neat thing about this app that I've never seen before that I really like mm -hmm. is it's all audio. And it, it like so Instagram, I know I tried to explain this to you. I'm going to do a better job now. So Instagram is like, you know, pictures. You put up a picture or a little video on Instagram and then essentially it's up there for a little bit and then it just disappears. Right. And some you may you might put 10 pictures up on your Instagram feed and maybe only like two of them make them to your actual feed or three of them get to your feed and then maybe a couple of them get stuck there. The rest just sort of go to your mm -hmm. reel and nobody ever sees them again, okay? So what happens, but they're, they're there. So if I go to your Instagram feed, which you don't have, but if I already go to our Instagram feed, mm -hmm. um, then I would see a whole bunch of pictures we put up there, but certainly not all the pictures. You following me? Right. Now on this new Clubhouse app, there is, there's no saving of the conversation. So it's all like exactly in real time, right? It's happening right. or it's not It's happening. live, right. So if I look at the app right now, I'll scroll through the app and there's all these people that started um, essentially conversations and their mm -hmm. conversations are in essence like... Um, live podcasts, honestly. And they're all done over people's um, iPhones. It's an mm -hmm. iPhone-only app at this point. So you And there's a whole bunch of people that have registered. We registered, and, and we've been invited to um, host a couple of these events. So let's say you want to start an event. You want to talk about lead generation, let's say. And then you, you're going to go, and you're going to say real estate lead generation. And then the next screen, it's going to say, would you like to invite co-hosts? Here are some co-hosts that we suggest that you have also moderate. And then you can click on them, and then they may say yes or they may say no. And then the next, it's by inviting co-hosts, I didn't tell you this part, mm -hmm. by inviting co-hosts then, let's say you invite 10 people and three people say yes. Now you've got this you know, real estate lead generation um, clubhouse event that's going to go on. And let's say you want to do it in a half hour. All right, now in that intervening time, all the people that clubhouse thinks might be interested in that and all the people that are following those particular uh, presenters are going to be invited uh, to your clubhouse event. And you could have, I was on a clubhouse uh, yesterday, just scanning. I'm just trying to learn it. Some of them have maybe dozens. Others of them have like a thousand people on them, mm -hmm. depending on what the subject is and who the presenters are. So it seems to me like the way to make it work so you have a lot of people show up is have a lot of diverse um, 
presenters, or mm -hmm. uh, I think they call them co-hosts. I don't remember what it is. But you try to get as many people to uh, to help you put, you know, basically imagine a virtual stage. Right. So you try to get many as many people on your virtual stage as possible because then you're inviting all the people that those people are also Do you attracting. think setting the uh, event further out in time helps have more no, people attend? No, I don't. Uh-uh. Because, well, you, so you can, that's a good question. I haven't figured all this out yet. Right. But from what I can tell is you can pre-schedule events. Mm -hmm. Like I was thinking about we start one and we do it every morning. I told you this. So, you know, we, we go on a you know, walk almost every morning and, you know, we walk down to the beach and we take the dog down and he runs down. It's how we start our day. We get a little exercise and come back and we start our work day, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the idea of this, maybe we go down to the, when we're down at the beach and we're letting our French bulldog, you know. Mornings Mac, with Max. Mornings with Max, right? <laughs> or I was thinking calling, calling it Tim and Julie Harris's Breakfast Club or something. Mm -hmm. And then basically it, the idea is that people are going to log in and we're going to, you know, everyone's going to participate doing some motivation and inspiration, setting their intentions for that particular day, that kind of thing. Something yeah. simple. Right, it doesn't have to last a long time, mm -hmm. but then it'd be a, almost like a you know old school morning devotional, right, where people kind of set their minds straight for the day, whatever. I mean, there's so many different ways you can do this. Like if I was um, selling, if we were selling real estate, you could do stuff like this. You could start doing a, a weekly clubhouse where you're inviting all the people that live in your particular city, mm -hmm. just update them on real estate. Now, why is it better than podcasting? It's better than podcasting in a way. And I don't think it's better than podcasting overall, but in a way, because it's less formal, more people can do it, um, and it's going to allow you to get in front of more people quicker. Like discovering a podcast, someone has to... It, well, it's more interactive, right? Because right, a podcast totally. is just like us presenting, and Clubhouse is an actual conversation with multiple people. I'm glad you said that, because that is what it's like. It's like, mm -hmm. do you remember when you and I were growing up, we used to listen to like Bruce Williams. Yeah. William, was it Williamson or Williams? Williams. Business advice guy. We listened yep. to Dr. Laura, you know, AM talk show people. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, that call-in talk show, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, and it was fun to listen to people calling in with the whatever issues they had and whatever, yep. whatever. Especially Dr. Laura, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we would. It was fascinating how that would work and how that interaction works. So what Clubhouse is doing, it's taking the podcast thing, it's then um, taking the uh, sort of the call-in radio thing. Mm -hmm. So you have a bunch of presenters, and then there'll be a bunch of people in the audience. And the people in the audience, you know, they click this button to raise their hand. And when they raise their hand, then they're the the whoever's moderating the event then can choose to have them also on stage. Now, what I found out was inside uh, Clubhouse, the way you sort of build your reputation in a way mm -hmm. is by mm -hmm. A, hosting events, B, being invited to host events, and C, by being one of the people that raises your hand. And so you get yeah. participation points is right. what I'm saying. I thought the whole hmm. thing was really incredible, actually, conceptually. It has kind of an – I listened to some of them, that, and you yeah. know, I've done some. It has maybe more of an intimate conversational feel to it than some of the other platforms. And well, that's it. But I do think it's it's interesting that it doesn't live on, that it doesn't like get posted yeah. for other people to listen to in the future. It's just like a real-time conversation. That's it. I'm sure they're going to make so. it so in the when they start to monetize it, they're going to figure out ways to yeah. you know make sure you can save it and re have it relive. I don't know if you can load like recordings up and have them play. I don't know. I think they'll have it's to be It's interesting live. to study it, though. I mean, we are, new thing. We, you and I were together yesterday, mm -hmm. and we are in the audience of an event. Somebody saw us in the audience in Clubhouse. Um, you know, they knew who we were. Mm -hmm. And I hate saying it like that because I sound I like such an asshole when I say that. They knew who we were, <laughs> but they did. I can see it on your face. I know. I hate saying it. I was in consternation. It was. And so anyway, they invited us up on stage. And the next thing I know, you and I are like in our you know bathing suits ready to go to the beach and we're presenting. <laughs> right? We're, we're presenting in front of all these people about whatever we were talking about. But everyone can do that, you know. And 
So anyway, I think this Absolute has a lot of potential because of the fluidity of it, because of the informality of it, because it's easy to get um, in front of people you'd never, never, never otherwise be able to get in front of. It's a lot of the same thing. It's a lot of people so far saying the same thing over and over again, especially when it comes to all the real estate topics that I like to pay attention to. Um, it's always the same jib jab about lead generation, buying leads, and you know this, that, yeah. the your funnels, and all the rest of it. You know, it's sort of like the a lot of people are the people who have built their businesses in the last ten years, uh, who have done it all predicated on buying leads. That's all they've ever learned. They've never learned proactive lead generation, so that's all they know. And so, a lot of those you know people, mostly in their thirties and early forties. They're on Clubhouse or wherever they are, and they're just saying what they know because, again, they've never learned anything different. And I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't have validity. It does. But what I'm saying is it's not necessarily uh, – frankly, we are we do are proponents of sort of any form of lead generation that works, but we're definitely proponents of lead generation that works that generates a profit. And the problem with a lot of these ideas that these guys are talking about Clubhouse and just anywhere, Facebook, everywhere else, is that when you really, when the rubber meets the road and you look at the cost of lead acquisition and you look at some of the sort of business models, the teams and the buyer's agents, there's no profit left at the end. It's not that you can't churn transactions or it's not that you can't do lots of units. And I know it's prideful and, and it's, you know, it's, this, is, this is where my mind is going with all this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a point in anyone's life, men or women, and I see it with some of our younger friends, mm-hmm. like some people that frankly have moved here to where we live. And they're younger than us, some of them by 10 years. Is that right? It's 10 to 15 in some cases. Oh, God, we're getting old. We don't like to admit that. But it's funny looking back. Not all of them, but yeah. Yeah, it's funny looking back and um, seeing the uh, process that they're going through. And it's all – and now looking for – and being able to remember how – because it wasn't that long ago, right? I remember the phase in our life when we wanted a big, impressive house, right? Mm -hmm. Where we wanted to impress just – I don't even know. It was an ego phase, right? Sure. It was a validation phase. Mm -hmm. And it's it's fascinating for me to watch that as these people are going through the same thing. It's not like you can really say – like. It's not like I can pull them aside and say, you know what? In a few years, you might not really want that monstrous house, you know, right. but it, or you might want to think twice about that decision you're making because you're spending all that money just for to placate your ego. But maybe that's part of their paths. You know what I well, mean? Well, maybe you know, maybe that's their their thing. And I I think some of that, and I remember that too. I mean. We did uh, it. We look at houses all the time, so we're we're not exactly innocent of that. Yeah, but we but, wouldn't we wouldn't buy a big ass house again. We no, never would. No, yeah. but I think it also uh, that you know desire to do that is kind of baked into our industry because well, not we're just industry, housing wise, people. right, and people for sure. But I think it's a stronger desire amongst those of us who sell real estate because you see I, what you could have. And I actually disagree. I think it's a. Maybe a phase, maybe not. I don't know. I think it's bio- It's a seemingly a seeming biological imperative mm-hmm. that and people do it unconsciously. That when men and women reach a certain age, and it's usually in that like say late thirties to mid forties age, where they want to when they want to uh, express their success in um, big houses and cars. Yeah, for and, sure. You, you know, all you the rest. You want to have an impressive nest. Basically, right. They want to have, but they want to impress their friends. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, a house thing is mostly a female side of the equation. I don't know if that resonates or makes people mad, but I, that's my own observation, right or wrong. And, you know, men are prideful in other things. But what I'm saying is, and what's fascinating is I'd forgotten about how omnipresent that is of yeah. people at a certain age until we're really rubbing elbows with them again mm-hmm. and seeing how much energy and time they spend thinking about those that's true. things. 
And it takes, this is the reason I'm bringing it up. So Elon Musk, mm-hmm. you know, before he moved to Texas, he sold all of his houses in California. Mm-hmm. And he had this, it was on uh, Joe Rogan, actually. And he had this, he was going to build his very own Iron Man bat meets bat cave thing. Which I'm sure he could <laughs> yeah. in like a half an hour, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said he was designing it. It was some sort of big thing on top of a mountain in California that overlooked the Pacific Ocean. And the whole thing sounded you like, totally see it. you know, you come and go with helicopters and tunnels and, you know, I don't even know what. I mean, it's Elon Musk, right? He was teleporting. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he sold all of it, and he said he just basically sold – he's selling the land where he was going to build this big-ass house, mm-hmm. and he said he's no longer going to do it. And then Joe said – Joe is like – you know, Joe's why? older yeah. than us, right? Yeah. And he goes, buy a little bit. And Joe goes like, well, and, uh, well why? Why are you selling all – and then he, do you remember what Elon said? I think he said because it was occupying space in his head that he could otherwise use on some more interesting projects. That's right. Which, so, which makes a lot of sense. You yeah. Know? And I, I think there's a lot of things in life that you can look at that – and say, you know, why why is that taking up so much space when I could use it on maybe something that's more important to me or more important in a con, uh, contribution to the world sense? Well, you more know, interesting. being of service, more interesting yeah. things like that. But I I thought that was an interesting interview with Joe because who thinks like that? Right, Elon Musk. Okay, but but, but now a whole bunch point. of other people think like that because he talked about it and has set that example. But that's the point, though. Yeah. That's the that's the he was consciously making a decision, realizing that he doesn't want to use his bandwidth. To yeah. port toward the creation of this house because he said mm-hmm. he actually said you know and here's Elon Musk right our a modern day you know what would they, what do they always say in Italian every time you run across anyone creative uh, modern day Leonardo yeah <laughs> modern day Da Vinci right yeah so if he was Italian that's what they they call him Da Vinci which he he essence is, in essence is but he was saying I don't want to spend the time investing thinking about in this house don't have this house in my mind because it's going to distract me from making rockets and getting to Mars yeah. that's basically what he that's said kind of big thinking oh my gosh i mean <laughs> right? but think about that it's just so funny to now, now yeah. everyone listening would think he's elon musk he's the richest oh. man in the world he's going to be the first world's first trillionaire possibly yeah, he can do whatever he wants right? why couldn't he have hired people to have those thoughts for yeah. him why couldn't he have hired a snarbian of architects because it's not the way the human brain works he, i remember he was saying he like would wake up thinking about the house and then he, you know at the same time he would be on the floor of um, you know, Tesla trying to figure out some way to solve a production problem and didn't go to sleep that night. And then he just sort of, uh, you know, uh, was introspective and was realizing that the... He was just consuming too much mental horsepower. For right. Him. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And so when I'm around these younger people and I see, and I remember, frankly, when you and mm-hmm. I were going through that, it really was such an utter and complete waste of time. I know. And furthermore, I don't think it was even necessary. There was nothing real positive that came from having passed through that sort of, you know... Yeah. There wasn't. Not that I, I can remember. Right. Well, you, so you're a female. This is different to you, right? I I don't know. I have to maybe be more introspective about it. Obviously, you want to have a nice nest for your family. Okay, right. that's that's a big thing, and definitely, I think women are more motivated by that safety and security aspect, and by the neighborhood matters. Yep. You know, and that still matters to us, of course. Um, but I think you'd go through different phases of that for sure. And, you know, people also can be competitive with each other and, you know, just have house envy and I don't know. Well, I I guess I never really looked at it that way. Why don't you feel that way anymore? Because you don't really. I think it's easier to not feel that way after you've done it. And it's not like you're wondering what that's like. Do you think you had to experience that to know that you didn't want to experience it again? I think that's true. And I also think when we have conversations like this, I also wonder like, what do people who are 15 years older than us thinking about what we're doing? You know, like what, Me too. It, there's all these different uh, cycles of life, of course. But 
Um, you know, I think it comes down to, not to make this too obviously back to the treasure map or to Harris rules, but, you know, we talk about this when you have to be introspective about what what is it that you want in life? What is actually motivating you? Because it's different for everyone, right? What is the most important thing to you? And how are you going to fund that? To well, me, so that's that's what it, I mean, as a coach. So right, let me ask you a question. You're, you're going to coaching mode and this is Sunday and I, I keep my brain out of that gear. Yeah. Okay. No coaching on Sunday. All right. So do you feel like you're being complacent, not aspiring to some bigger you know, more luxurious, more, you no. know, whatever house. Why? Why is that not complacency? Um, because I know that we could do it if we wanted to. We just flip that switch and figure it out. I mean, I and that comes from confidence of experience. And, you know, the 30-year-old us's probably wouldn't have thought that way, maybe. Um, I don't know. It's like, I think that's part of the reason why women like to go shopping, right? It's like you can see, I could do that, but you get to say no to some things too. It's like uh, empowerment of choosing what you want. I don't know. So is it, so when you were shopping, when you were in your, you know, 35 or whatever, yeah. you would say yes as often as you, yeah, I mean, you were saying yes more, more than often. no. More often, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I think, well, little rewards and nuggets along the way. We yeah. I'll do that. Junk. But, um, but now. But do I feel like I'm not motivated because I don't have something big, you know? So really. do you feel more empowered now by saying yes or saying no? It's probably saying no. So why is that? Um, because we've been there, done that, don't have to do all those things. I, I think for me, for us, it's more about experiences. And I think that having the munchkin also has kind of uh, refocused what's more, most important. Like, would I rather read a book with her or go shopping? I'd rather read a book with her. Yeah. Because, you know, she's actually a lot more entertaining. But it is fascinating as I look, <laughs> so, look as I look over your shoulder, as I look at our dry erase board of our, dry, yeah. of our goals this year, right? We have plenty of goals. We have plenty of goals. But, <laughs> That's you know, not the what, issue. What we signed, a, well, you mostly, signed a contract to write four books this year. Yeah. Right. So we're going to write four books, one a quarter. They're not going to be big books, obviously. No pressure. We're, cost, we're copying our friend Ryan Holiday, and we're going to produce a bunch of smaller books. But I, And we're going to be talking more about these along the way. Um, but... If you had been focusing on trying to acquire some big house for this for the sake of personal edification or really ego, you never even would have considered uh, signing up for those four bucks. Probably not, because to your point about Elon Musk, I would figure, you know, I have to expend a certain amount of mental horsepower pursuing that, you know. Uh, but I, I do think that there's a big difference when you have actually experienced that. Um, but and, do you have to experience it? I don't. I, I think most people do. I, yeah, but you know, a wise man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns from the mistakes sure. of others. So we're not really labeling sort of this no. passage of you know. I think uh, adult. Uh, you know, essentially, it's growing up. Really. Yeah. We're never quite grown up, are we? No, that's for sure. <laughs> but it, it, I guess what I'm saying is just seeing um, you know our friends and just looking and being a little. You know, it's Sunday again. Being a little bit introspective. It's fascinating to see what we don't think about anymore. You yeah, know? that's true. And by not thinking about those things, what has left room for us to create. Yeah. You know, the old saying, nature abhors a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. And that is really true. So as soon as you, like we hired this really great guy, Trevor Jones, and he's working for us. And he's, I mean, he's seemingly, he's going to be somebody who's really going to help us take our business to the next level, all things marketing, our website, all the things we're, you know, we've been working on are now essentially, he's closing all those loops for us. So I had this big, long list of projects that I was personally going to focus on and mostly was going to oversee because I'm not a technical person by any means. Um, and then we hired Trevor and Trevor just sort of 
took all that list and I don't, he doesn't send me updates, which is perfect. I just see the output, which is so far fantastic. Um, and, but the point being is that by hiring him, my dry erase board went from a lot of things to no things. And inside two weeks, my dry erase board's now filling up with things. And I look at the things my dry erase board's filling up with, and they're things that would have been never uh, considered. For example, agreeing to the four books this year, yeah. um, had I had my mind being occupied by all those other things. By your things. old list. Right. Yeah. Seriously. And so ultimately what's fascinating is you get older. Damn, we're actually hitting on some good buttons today. We absolutely had no idea what we were going to talk about. What gets what's better when you get older is you start learning that you have to give up, and it's okay to give up to gain. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that it's difficult. I don't think that might be the acquired wisdom versus the learned wisdom acquired from experience, learned from reading and paying yeah. attention. But like, as I, I mean, I gave up my old list of things to do, and now essentially my mind is creating new things. That would that are like five steps ahead of where we are now that we're going to focus on for the sake of being better coaches and you know running a better business and yeah. creating a better experience for our users. By the way, did you do your Facebook Live test with this Trevor? This afternoon. Oh I was boy, looking at setting it up. What time? After our meeting with our friends. Oh, okay. So, well, good luck yeah. with that. I don't think it's going to be that bad. So tomorrow. starting tomorrow, everyone, we'll see. in Premier Coaching, <laughs> it's the first Facebook Live, which you'd think would be easy, but then you have to remember how many members we have, thousands. Yeah. And so you're going to be dealing with a lot of uh, potential overwhelm from people trying to get your attention. But yeah. You'll we'll figure see how it out. goes. So you're being forced to learn something new. Yeah. <laughs> Begrudgingly. Well, but it but is. But it's good. It'll be better. But It'll don't be better. you think it's interesting, all of this? Yeah. And so it's like if you go back to... Um, you know, it's like when you think back about the evolution of man, remember the book by uh, Bernowski, this, the, uh, what was the it called? The Ascent of Man, right? We had yeah. to read that in high school. Boy, that was onerous. Did was. you ever actually read the whole book? No. <laughs> I mean, it was, that was tough. I liked the class. I did too. It was very interesting. but, but That yeah, was Ed's that was, class, was wasn't tough. it? Yeah. Yeah. That was fantastic. Julie and I met in AP high school in Worthington, Ohio. So that's the reason we're sounding like super nerds now. Because we are. <laughs> but uh, the, ascent, the essence of the ascent of man is a fascinating thing to think about because you're dealing with, um, like, when people were essentially, uh, look how man's, man evolves as they learn how to basically create a civilization where they could stay in place, Right where they went from being hunters and gatherers mm-hmm. and they went to basically being farmers. And then all the, if you kind of just like encapsulate all this into one thought of essentially how when man goes from one step of evolution to another, they give up the step of evolution that they're at, where they are. And this is going to last, you know, thousands of years. It's there because they haven't figured out how to create enough safety and security and food for themselves or steady streams of water or whatever, right? So they're stuck they're in this. stuck in that zone because that's right. their daily survival. That's their daily survival, yeah. exactly. And, it, and as, if, as man evolves, it evolves on the back of technology, hunting technology. You know, so you go from being hunters and gatherers and, you know, the farming and then you have you know, all these things that have happened and to the point where modern man, and this is really kind of another fascinating thought I was having mm-hmm. um, with myself mostly, <laughs> is that now we don't really have any real worries. All the worries we have are kind of fake. Yeah. Because people don't have to worry about their health for the most part. You know, people that are worrying about health insurance are the people, like most of you guys are healthy and will, I mean, the average human lives to 86 years old or something like that. So a chance at 78 or something. So chances are you're going to live a very nice long life. And yet, a lot of you are fearful of your health because you're being told to and manipulated because some problem with health insurance that you don't even use. 
You know, but if you go through this whole litany of things like where we don't have to worry about food anymore. No. I mean, even a homeless really. person gets food. Everyone sure. gets food. The food, lack of food, food scarcity is not a thing for the most part. It isn't. Not, not in our country. I mean. Not in our country, right. Yeah. And, when, and when I was growing up, I mean, even like we, we grew up but time to time in our family, we were really poor and mm-hmm. we didn't have any food. Mm-hmm. But we would go to the church basement and yeah. in the church basement, there was tons and tons of food. Sure. You wouldn't even have to talk to anybody. You walk in with a cardboard box, you go to the basement and there in the church basement was all this food that all the, per, you know, all the people had dropped off and you could just yeah. get, take what you wanted. All now, that goes on now and is even more highly organized. Yeah. Well, I so, mean, church, yeah. churches still do it in most mm-hmm. of the country and then there's food banks. Point being is there's no food scarcity. No. Um, and so then you think about, well, okay, what is scarce? Is an ability to communicate and learn scarce? Hell no. I mean, think when you and I got into real estate. When you and I got into real estate, I mean, we make yeah. fun of this because it's true, and we're trying to make a point. But there was no internet. There were no real estate coaches. There was no nothing. There was no. You didn't even have electronic lock boxes. No, we had dial boxes. Yeah. Yeah, and so we when when we were getting started, our first year where we sold over a hundred houses, we had no formal real estate background, no. but we knew how to hustle. And we found some scripts and we had some ideas of what to say. But all we did is conceptually we understood mostly when we would solicit FISBOs mm-hmm. it was we understood that this person wants to sell their house and chances are they want to buy a house. Right. So and I'm going to figure out how to do those two things. we have a things. real estate license and so maybe we can get in the middle of that. <laughs> right. And then, yeah. and then you like, you know, you and I were in our early 20s and trying to pay off student loans and, you know, we had a yeah. car cleaning and detailing business before and we were thinking, well, I can sell, and these were little houses, so I can sell this house for this person and make, you know, four grand and they're going to buy this house and they're going to, you know, I'm going to make six grand. Those together, that's 10 grand. That's a lot of car details. That's a lot better than what we were yeah, doing before. And absolutely. that's all I had to know. Yeah. But so which brings you full circle to the ascent of man. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to meander. But the point is, is that education, thank you. Education is available everywhere. This is the, what's geeking me about this. Well, silly app. It's, it's way more available now. Well, right. I mean, but the problem is, is what knowing what to listen to. Yeah. And knowing what to believe. That's true. So it's not, when you and I were coming up, it was, you would maybe, if you were lucky, you get mentored by, you know, some agent that was in your office. Now, this was back in the Stone Age, right, for you guys. It was in the 90s. How many of you listening right now weren't even born in the 90s? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I know. Isn't that awesome I to have no about? idea what we're talking about right I now. I know, but you know, when you and I used to go to real estate things, and we were always the youngest people by like 20 yeah, years. Yeah, that's true. And people sure. were like, who are those? Whose kids are those? And like, that's Tim and Julie. They sold 100 houses. And they're da 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 are like, how? And now, we, <laughs> and now we walk in, like, probably half the room's younger than us. Yeah. When did that happen? I don't know. Was was there some sort of a, a it was meeting like last or, year, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was, Maybe twenty twenty caused that. Was there some meeting? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what it was. Twenty twenty was like a ten year leap year. That's <laughs> what it was. <laughs> well do you, do you remember how radical it was when the MLS went online? Oh, oh my yeah, gosh. Oh yeah. Because yes, agents, it used to not be online. Yep. It used Realtor. to be. Realtor.com came online. Yeah. And I remember um just all this stuff, all this stuff happened. Yeah. I don't want to play the I remember game because no, it's know. boring. It's just funny, but the but, but yeah. point is is education is sure. everywhere. Bad education is everywhere. People you say really have same. to develop a filter. You do. You really have to. And so when I was clicking on these clubhouse things, and I was listening to these different groups talk. They're all saying the same sort of worn out, profit-free garbage, mostly. And they're saying it with the right intention, but they're not. They're saying it without knowing that they're like they're just saying what they've heard other people say. And they, none of these conversations have anything to do with profit. There's another clubhouse thing we should start. How to actually make profit in real estate yeah. so you can become rich where your money works for you no longer have to work for your title. money. There you go. I mean, that's a great topic that nobody mm-hmm. talks about. 
And I, I'm, as I'm listening to all these clubhouse things, because uh, I've been quite absorbed in it this weekend, and I'm listening to all these people talk, I'm fascinated by um, I'm fascinated by their, the fact that many of them are introspective enough to realize they're saying the same thing. But I'm really fascinated by the fact that none of them are introspective to realize why they're all saying the same thing. Like they don't have it, uh, humans' inability to look much past their own personal experiences is I went, I mean, obviously we're supposedly the most, you know, maybe dolphins are smarter than us, I don't know, or squids certainly. But, you know, I think about humans and I'm like, why is it that we can only really trust our own personal experiences and we don't actually get to the point where we start looking a little bit, you know, maybe 100 years or 200 years in the past? Because history does repeat itself or more predict, and more specifically rather, the patterns of human behavior is very mm-hmm. predictable in how it repeats itself. Um, and if you if you knew that, it's actually quite comforting. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, well, Napoleon Hill actually made that point when he was talking about um, masterminding in one of his, uh, I think it's in the 17 Laws of Success. It might be in Think and Grow Rich. Um, he was saying, you know, your mastermind doesn't have to be your immediate peers. Right. Your mastermind can be people from the past, from history, who, you know, you've studied and you like them philosophically, educationally. You know, you can think like, Gosh, you know, what would Da Vinci do with this? It's it's okay to have some of your mentors be historical people. Well, but more specifically though, as relevant mm-hmm. to today and all the hype that's going on sure. now. If you guys think don't honestly the best thing to do is just exit stage right with all those conversations and even and taking any of that content because here's really the bottom line. Um, there's been so many other little, uh, you know, in throughout history, not just the history of our country, but the history of humanity where things like this have happened and they haven't even shown up in the history books because they came and went. And this day and age where information comes and goes so fast, you guys watch a week from now, look how the news will be off to something else. That's just how it is. You're supposed to constantly be going from heightened state of hype to heightened state of hype to heightened state of hype. You're not supposed to be in control of your own thoughts and your own energies. It's almost like there's a, I don't know, I hate this to say it this way, but there's almost like there's a conspiracy against making people come down from these emotional uh, heights to the point where they can actually be introspective and take the time to develop their own ability to discern information. That's what mm-hmm. it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mass manipulation. Now, do I think there's a big conspiracy? I do not. Um, but do I think that it's something that all of us have easily fall prey to? We, I do, because we're all addicted to that new information because it gives you a little dopamine hit. Just be introspective about how you feel. <laughs> As I say this, I know all of you guys are going to jones to mess with your phones. But as you know, how often you act, I mean, Julie's phone's sitting beside her and I swear just in our little conversation so yeah. far, she's looked at it like a hundred times, even though the screen's black and now she's going to rationalize and say why she's watching it. Well, because the kid appointment's later today. Yeah. Well, it can wait. Okay. It yeah. is. It is waiting. But you're jonesing. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but. Well, but, but it, yeah. but it is that because that's, it's the dopamine hit you get sure. from looking at the phone. It's just a tiny little release in your brain, your chemical yeah. brain that, you know, that's causing people to, that's what we're all addicted to. Mm-hmm. And now we get it everywhere. We get it on our phones. We get, I mean, I was just talking about this app. You get it on your computer. Sure. You get it every, but Yeah, how, and people panic if they don't hear from you in the next 30 seconds because exactly. they texted you, oh my gosh. Well, right? so that goes two ways. Yeah. First of all, if you're, a, if you're selling something to somebody... Yeah. And you're not meeting the consumer on the field where they insist that you be, you're screwed. Yes. So when it comes to uh, furiously fast lead follow-up and being incredibly urgent is an unfair yes. advantage in selling anything, especially real estate. Absolutely. Okay. Now, but the flip side to it is, is when you, 
people need to develop and again this is something i i'm just working on my own head if you do not have absolute hard stops to that sort of never-ending cycle of dopamine hits or you know urgency you're gonna it's not natural it's a, yeah. it's not human and you're not gonna allow yourself to think that's my i think that's that's true. what i'm trying to say that's true yeah and so we get caught in these mm-hmm. hamster wheels where we're never, okay, now I'm starting to build a team and now I'm starting to buy leads. I'm worrying about my brand and my logo. And the only thing that really has any value is the brand I have. And I have to go and spend all this money branding and all the social networking. Do you guys realize that most of that stuff is really utter crap? I mean, do you really realize that? It is. It's utter crap. Because your brand is fungible. Fungible means it's easily replaced by something else. Your brand has no value. Your real estate business has no value. Your real estate brokerage, in essence, has no value. I mean, in the sense that you can't sell it. I'm not trying to insult you. Julie and I did all this too. Sure, that's how we know. And the businesses <laughs> we formed had no value. Yeah, and you also don't need 5 billion leads to sort through, right? You, you need, we talked about the magic number during the normal show. So the point being is that you guys, when you're focusing on real estate, you've got to remember this, this is like the first filter that you all need to be introspective about. Most of the things that are being sold to you are being sold to you by technologists who are essentially just trying to get your money. And the way they're manipulating you is through your ego and your ignorance. It's those two things primarily. And your desire for the easy button. Yeah. Which well, is ignorance. ego and ignorance. Yeah, exactly. Rolled up into one button. And so if like, for example, I'll tell you right now, if you guys want to have, look, first of all, brand. What brand really is, is a replacement word for the word reputation. Everyone knows what reputation is. Can you tell me what the hell brand means? I mean, it means whatever the person trying to sell you something wants it to mean, right? But reputation, you know what that means. And so what they're trying to get you to believe, and this is the type of thing that frankly, you know, makes people mad when, when we say this, but it's true. What they're trying to get you to believe is you can buy reputation. You can't. You have to earn reputation. And it takes a long damn time. I was on this uh, clubhouse listening in yesterday, and they were talking about imposter syndrome. Have you ever familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Well, we experienced it after we sold 100 houses our first year, mm-hmm. where you're like, wow, this, we got like a ridiculous amount of attention for yeah. that. It was insane. It was mm-hmm. too much. You know, we had tons of publicity. We went on a speaking tour. We wrote a quote-unquote book. It was a big-ass three-ring binder, but we sold a lot of them, yeah. you know. And we had, you know. Old-school self-published. Yeah. Howard Brenton made us stars. We just did all this other stuff. And, uh, and I've always felt like, you know, people are putting us up on this sort of, you know, stage in the literal sense back then. And I was thinking, well, do we really deserve this? I mean, two years ago, we, were, we had a car cleaning and detailing right. business, right? Yeah. You know, and, and now we're sort of these national real estate celebrities. It doesn't really make sense. It was, it was a, you know, it was an outsized reaction to what we just mm-hmm. naturally did. I mean, the truth is, is that <clears throat> we didn't know how many houses we had sold until the year was almost over. <laughs> That's right. We didn't. We were just plugging out transactions, which I guess. No, it, but we knew how much uh, more student loans we had to pay off. Which we the, did. Which was the mo- you know a lot of the original motivation. Right. So when you look at, for example, um, you know, like I, I look back at all that, I, I think to myself that I felt like an imposter to the amount of success and recognition we were getting, and the amount of knowledge that people assumed we had. For probably two or three years. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what's more is when we started coaching people, I felt like that for less, but probably a year. Mm-hmm. And I and so there was, I was listening to this clubhouse and I hadn't told you about this. So I'm curious about your, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to this clubhouse and there was this a psychologist and there was a whole crap ton of people from all over the world that were on this clubhouse thing. And they're all talking about how to get rid of the imposter syndrome. 
And I thought to myself, I was listening to all these people. The people were asking questions in the audience. I remember there's this one gal, she was, you know, trying to express how she was in real estate, how she basically was in real estate. She failed out of real estate, wants to get back into real estate. And the reason that she no longer, she's going to do her best to not feel like an imposter because she has passion in, for real estate. And all of her friends and family know she's going to have passion for real estate. And the doctor was sort of like, oh, is that buddy? He's just saying all this crap because he was trying to sell something on the back end. That's just the truth. You know, go watch this video and buy my program on how to overcome feeling like an imposter. But I was, I was listening and I was listening to all these things that mostly it sounds like people in their 20s and 30s were asking this doctor about imposter syndrome. I got to thinking to myself, you are an imposter. That's the reason you feel like an imposter, yeah. right? You know, lady who's asking the question uh, about why you feel like you're an imposter you're, the answer isn't to tell people that you're something that you're not. When you do that, you are the imposter. Yeah. You know, Self-fulfilling prophecy kind of right. thing. At least we had sold a crap ton of houses, right. right? Yes. But still, I didn't have the knowledge to know how to convey because we didn't have any. We weren't really no. organized. We just went out yeah, there and did the true. work, right? Yeah. Earned it a deal at a time. We did. And right. And you know, we learned along the way. We didn't learn and then get into action. Mm-hmm. We learned every single transaction. That's for um, sure. You know, we learn why you need to check on, ask people if they have down payments. You learn why you need to have people pre-qualified. <laughs> yeah. You learn all these That's things. That's a whole other book I have. We have like for. three or four houses in contract in our first year. I remember yeah. very clearly. One yeah. in particular, mm-hmm. he finally gets to the lender because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. No. One of them had to sell a Persian rug in Iran for his down I payment. I totally remember that. And another had to sell his beer can collection. Yeah. And I remember the lender saying, you know what? It's a good idea if you have us talk to these people first. <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh, really? One of them had, I remember one that I talked to had to sell her grandma's piano for a down payment. And I remember I, and that. I'm like, that was our first year. Does grandma know that you're doing this? <laughs> like, what is there a script for this? So what are you waiting you for, know. grandma to kick the bucket? Oh, okay. Oh, so how long does the contract need to be? <laughs> exactly. We I, I remember learning on a cash deal. Uh, when we lived in Olentangy Forest, yeah, that uh, you know we were all excited because it was our listing and our buyer, and they were cash, and we didn't have to fool with financing and blah blah blah. And then the title company calls, they're like, "There's no cash." Did, did that back then? You didn't do proof of funds letters, right? Well, his quote cash was coming from a divorce settlement that never settled anywhere near time for closing, and we lost that deal. A deal that we never thought we would have lost because it was cash. But here's my point. We yeah. were imposters because we were learning on the job. Absolutely. Now, we'd been, we had some success, but we were learning on the job. Sure. So when we felt like we were imposters, I don't know if you felt, did you feel like yeah. this? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I did too. Because we were learning constantly. Yeah. And we we needed to like, uh, you know, be a sh- be more confident than we actually were. Right. Right. We had to assume the role. Otherwise, people wouldn't want to do business yeah. with us. We and all that happened so fast and furiously that we we just kind of you know, rolled with it. But I do, looking back, I, I remember feeling that way. Sure. You know, why did people choose to do business with us? Because we had hustle. Because we are, you know, we had energy and enthusiasm. That was the number one reason why. we People yeah. used to say it. We chose Tim and Julie, you know, not because they know what the hell they're talking about or not because they even looked like they were any older than maybe 14 because we looked really too yeah. young. But it's because they had energy and enthusiasm. And that was the reason time and time again they yeah. would choose would to do business with us. We would hear that all the time. You were the only ones that seemed to have enthusiasm for our house, for our situation, for the sale. Right. You know, and we figured that if somebody comes in, because we back then we were competing all the time. Yep. Because we had no past clients, you know. Um, and they would say, you know, people came in, they just didn't have any energy. They just didn't, we just didn't connect. They didn't seem like they were enthusiastic. For example, when Julie and I started selling, you guys in Columbus, Ohio, where we sort of had our, we had a little house on uh, East Jeffrey, 280 East Jeffrey. We bought that house when we were still in college, basically. Just out, really. But um, 
so we started, that's where we got our license and that's where we started selling real estate. Makes sense, right? And what we do is we go after the for sale by owners. We had no center of influence that was going to do business with us. You know, we had no real, you know, leg up. Nobody is giving us anything. We had no, you know, family connections, no nothing. So we went after for sale by owners. And that's what all, we, one of the first spokes we all suggest you guys do, depending on where you're coming uh, into this business from. Now, if you have a big center of influence and past client list, maybe we put that one first. Usually we put that one first. But Fizbo's are really a fantastic source of business because they have to sell a house. And generally speaking, um, they're going to buy a house. And we put those two thoughts together. We were off to the races. But when we went go to talk with these for sale by owners, we didn't know what we were saying or how we were saying it. But we knocked on the door. We wouldn't even call. Yep. We'd knock on the door. We'd talk to them. We'd find out what their motivation was. We then strung together a script. We figured it out. But every single word coming out of our mouths, we were nervous that we were going to say something dumb. And we did. Said mm-hmm. things dumb all the time. <laughs> but they liked us because we had energy and enthusiasm. And I remember in that particular market, there was a very well entrenched, his first name was John. He still sells real estate, believe it or not. I know who you mean. Yep. Gosh. And he was a, uh, he was a uh, known uh, for sale by owner discounter yeah. discounter so he would go to fisbo and he would listen for basically nothing and this guy had a, a his actual brokerage um built his building was a business he inherited from his mom and that was um at the end of his uh end of our street where we lived so we'd drive past his little office every day when we were go- just going anywhere and so he was our primary competitor and he was so well entrenched in that market Everybody knew who this guy was. He would also do postcards and he had an ad in the local paper. Remember newspapers? Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. But in any event, um, and we beat him. And the reason we beat him isn't because we were beating him on commission or pricing. And this is what the sellers would tell us. Because he had this sort of assumptive approach and he didn't have energy and enthusiasm. And he'd roll in. This is what they were telling us. And he, he very quickly learned to hate us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we he had been entrenched so long and there weren't he was that, complacent. There weren't that many people going after for sale by owners. And so I can see how he kind of thought that was his little kingdom. It was. You know, and there was don't forget Dr. Fisbo too, he was in there. Yeah, yeah. But, but you you know, when you do prospect, you come to know who your competition is. But Dr. So. Fisbo, Mike Perchetti, he was great. He was great. And we he actually I think we picked up a lot of good scripts. And he wasn't a jerk. No, Mike wasn't. Perchetti was awesome. Yeah. Mike Perchetti, if you're in Columbus, Ohio listening, we love you. Yeah. All right. So the point of all this, and this is this is 25 years ago, guys. So this is forever ago. Some of you weren't even born yet, um, or certainly not in real estate. 99% of you guys weren't in real estate from the stories we're telling you. But I'm telling you all this to say that the imposter syndrome that some of you experienced, and I was listening uh, again to this clubhouse, um, you're supposed to feel that. Yeah, well, you have to earn it. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. And, yeah, and, and, and I think people are more sensitive to the imposter syndrome now than ever before because it's so everywhere. Well, it's well. Here's the, let me finish making yeah. this point, okay? Mm-hmm. So you have this fake expert thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. You have this influencer thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. You have this uh, brand building thing that's happening, and all of that is supposed to basically make it okay that you actually don't have experience. And they're trying to make you think you can skip the step of building a good reputation. Yeah, well, you that, understand? that that only lasts until it doesn't. Well, that only that that was my point is that people do have a filter for that kind of thing now. Consumers do. Consumers do. Yes. I don't think agent to agent is sensitive to it, but I think consumers do. That's what Trevor told me. Trevor Jones, right? Who Mm -hmm. we just hired. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So he and I are having this very conversation, and I said, everyone nowadays, you know, because he's in charge of our marketing and our advertising and our, you know, all the, dare I say, brand and all the rest of it. But the thing is, is he said, he said, you guys did this the exact. 
what Trevor said. You guys did this the exact opposite of the way that modern people do it. Modern people will fake a reputation, build a fake brand in essence, build a you know create themselves this create this big fantasy of an illusion that they're influencers. And then they go back and then they try to build a product and then they actually try to learn about whatever the hell they're selling. And I didn't realize it until he said that to me that that really is true. And I thought at, at that very moment, I thought, wow, that is so freaking sad mm-hmm. because ultimately there's so many people out there, especially in our industry, because there are, you know, they're the people in our circus tent, right? Right. <laughs> they're the people that I worry about because they don't realize what you are just saying that that does not end well mm-hmm. because all it's going to take is a consumer who knows how to discern bullshit from truth, mm-hmm. real experience from fake experience. And so you guys who spend all your time believing that this whole, and you know, you're becoming influencers and you wanted to, you know, all these other sort of current zeitgeist marketing gimmick things, you don't realize that these things are just gimmicks and there's no, they're, they're not going to give you any sort of staying power. Like I was listening to, a, a, I'm saying, I'm pushing, today's podcast is sponsored by Clubhouse. Right. But I was listening to one and uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Someone fairly famous was on there. Um, I don't remember his name. And he is obviously a big social networking guy, but he's actually done it. And it's fascinating for me to listen to him. I mean, he's done, he's built real businesses, mm-hmm. right? It was listening, to, it was fascinating for me to listen to him try to placate the fakes that were on the same Clubhouse he mm-hmm. was on. Mm-hmm. And he was actually having to bite his tongue when you heard some, and the, then what happened after like maybe about a minute where someone would say something and they're trying to say it in some old school you know, preacher type yeah. way where you're supposed to listen to them in every single syllable of every, but you like listen to what they say and it's like, what the hell did you just say? Yeah, That just sounded like a bunch of woo-woo mindset bullshit that actually means nothing. And then you'd listen to somebody who was genuine, who actually knew what the hell they were talking about. And then that little back and forth happened a few times. Then all the fakes shut up. Right. <laughs> they didn't say anything. I remember hearing part and of he, that. And he wasn't trying to banter with them or sword fight with them. He was just being himself, someone who was genuine, who had, had actual experience. And soon as he started talking and you compared it to what these other people were saying, you realized he did the work. He's put in the time. Yeah. And you all these the people difference. are faking it. And the yeah. thing is, is that's the imposter syndrome that you're supposed to feel you're supposed to experience feeling like an imposter. And the only way you can stop feeling like an imposter is you actually have to have the experience to know that you're no longer a fake. You have to do, you know, deal by deal, help person by person and build your experience and build your reputation, not just manufacture your reputation. Right. And, and but yeah. nowadays, again, that's what the, that's, yeah. I'm I know, but I, I feel. How is that okay? Yeah. It's not okay. And I, I actually feel bad for, for, especially for agents that think, that if they lead with all that, all the splash, right? And then, like, they have to have a real conversation with the seller about th- this is why, you know, they'll be like, well, I can't talk to them about their finances. I can't talk to them about a net sheet. It, you don't have the experience. You haven't used scripts. You haven't taken the time to actually do it because if you were doing that, you would have the confidence to have the real conversations. And, and, they, I, and I think they, it's like they're setting their own trap. And here's the other great lie. Yeah. They think that people in mass are mm-hmm. going to be choosing who they're going to do professional or uh, chooses their, you know, real estate person yeah. based on their, essentially their public facing social networking right. brand. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. And, and it's never going to be true. That's not how people make decisions to buy anything. Now, will they perhaps go and Google you, depending on their age, frankly, to find out what's online about you? Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, you know, they're going to. But are they going to make a decision based on if they hire you or not, you know, because you took a really pretty picture of your salad you're having for lunch and put it on Facebook? No. no. I can guarantee <laughs> you they will not. 
And if you look at, especially as you go up market, when you go up market, most of that business essentially is really, it's very high end, um, you know, referral business. Yeah, Yeah. it's relationship based. And you don't get relationships of any meaning from social networking. You just don't. Now, that stuff has been cast upon all of you when during your formidable years of business training. And so you think that's how you're supposed to do it because no one stopped to tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what? You got to open your eyes to realizing the path that you're on. Have you thought about where that's actually going to go? You, the way you get a brand ultimately, guys, and listen, please listen to what I'm saying because it's so true, is that you actually get for sale signs in people's yards that say sold on them. Yeah. And you know what? That's kind of a radical thought for some of these guys. Hell yeah, it is. I, I mean, I've had uh, conversations with coaching clients about why are you supposed to, why would I use a sign when it's going to sell in three days? Why would I waste my time? I know. And it's like they're totally missing the point, right? Because Nothing's more powerful than a sold sign. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> if you want, so yeah. so all these conversations where people are talking about buying leads and using Facebook funnels and using all this stuff and drip campaigns, you realize all those people are trying to do is spending all this money and time, and they brag about, oh, I got, I'm getting my per click and my retargeting down to fifty nine cents, and it's like. Okay, so you're telling me somebody who is, say, for example, a school teacher or a firefighter or a server or, or you know, a car detailer, you know, they come into real estate. You're telling me that they have to learn how to do all this marketing crap. You're telling me that that's the highest and best use of their time. I'm telling you it absolutely is not because if they don't have the sales skills to actually know how to convert that business to, you know, to present to those sellers, who cares if they were able to generate the lead? And furthermore, leads are fungible. They're, they're free. Leads are everywhere, especially real estate leads. If you want to generate... Especially now when everybody's a real estate enthusiast. Right, exactly. That's a huge thing. But if you look at, for example, um, if you look at uh, sellers, right? You take a listing from a seller. How many buyers are you going to generate if you're just being urgent on the buyer leads? You just do a few basic things. How many buyer leads are you going to generate off that one seller? Well, I'll tell you how many. A crap ton because that's what Zillow does. They generate buyer leads off your listings and they sell them to other agents that don't know how to list houses and don't know how to generate buyer leads off their own listings. You just take one stinking listing and you put a stinking sign in the yard with a brochure box and use something like 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM and know hopefully that your listing doesn't literally stink because that would be bad. Mm. But in this market, you price it right. <laughs> but in this market, you price it right. Even you could, if you don't, you could smell a smell, sell. sell a smelly house. Yeah, right? that's right. Uh, but you do that, you will have to beat the buyers off with a stick. And yet, so true. So many of you guys come into the business, and you're thinking you have to buy buyer leads. And here's the other thing I heard. Man, I need to back off the clubhouse, don't I? You do. But here's the other thing I heard. Oh, New agent advice, right? Oh, no. Join a team. Join a team. Join ah. a team. Yeah. Join a team. Why? Because the team can buy leads in bulk. That means they can give you more leads than you'll be able to buy yourself. I know. That's it's this just, is this is yeah. the zeitgeist. It's such crap. I know. I know. Preach so to the choir. We get that question. Oh, I know. We get that question all the time from new yeah. agents. Should I join a team? Right now, you would think fundamentally it makes sense to join a team because they're going to give you mentoring. They're going to give you leads. They're going to da 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 da. No. You do not need to join a team. You do not need to toil away basically working with buyers until the cows come home for basically a fraction of what should have been your commission. You do not need to do that. Oh, now, are we crapping on teams? No, we are not. I mean, Julie and I, in essence, have a team in our real estate coaching business. We had a team when we sold real estate. But let me tell you, just strictly from a new agent's perspective, don't waste your time. Don't hover there. Go right to being a listing agent. So when Julie, someone thinks that they have, it, do you honestly think hmm. after we found our soapbox, by the way. Mm-hmm. Do you honestly think after 25 years of us being in this business 
that it's shocking that so many agents are still being lied to that they have to wait to become listing agents? I guess I wish I was surprised. I am. You know, I I think I do think that the all the social platforms has made it so that that's so much worse. It's the technology it's companies. The technology. That's yeah. what it is. It's yeah, te- and there's there's more of them. And it's easier for them to find agents. It's easier to communicate with them. It doesn't take skill to work with buyers no. for the most part. It's a social yeah. business. You said that. It's physical labor. Well, it is. It's physical labor and listings are mental labor. But, you know, from the team, just if you take it from a buyer agent standpoint, you really do have to sell two, three, four times the amount of homes that you would on your own. I want you to consider this, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm. A, let's just say I'm going to get into the business and I'm going to do real estate training. I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to do seminars for real estate agents, mm-hmm. okay? So I'm going to start doing live events or whatever, and I want to have people help me sponsor the events. The only people out there, really, companies that are third-party vendors to real estate agents are the ones that are, in essence, directly or indirectly in the lead selling game. Right. So if I want to have those vendors sponsor me for my live events so I can then You're start, going to be pushing their stuff. I'm going to be pushing their stuff. and That's, that's the what, agreement. That is the agreement. And so when you guys go to these real estate events sponsored by Zillow or sponsored by all these, what do you think you're going to be hearing? You're back in that echo chamber. Yeah, and so and so you're seeing in the last really I think since 2009 there are thousands of people and in just businesses that have cropped up that are selling stuff to agents and they themselves have never sold real estate before and then they're they're uh, essentially getting their um, validation from people who you guys aren't being discerning enough to know you shouldn't be listening to in the first place because they never sold real estate before because they're essentially you know influencers they're not. Honest, they're you know fake experts. They've not actually ever done anything other than selling uh, marketing ideas, and so you guys get caught in these things. Okay, Julie, I need. I mean, we get these all right. What's the first thing I should buy when I get in real estate? Right? They say that. Mm-hmm. You know, what's what should I be spending my money on? There's that's like an omnipresent conversation. All the so, time. Like, what? How about nothing? Let's go with nothing. You should be spending your money on nothing. You should be spending your money and your rather your time on learning how to be a service to sellers primarily. Yeah. You can spend your money on your NAR dues and your cell phone and you some gas for your car. Exactly. Maybe a computer. That's and look it. what we did our first year. Are yeah. you telling me in your markets right now, listeners, there's not a billion for sale by owners? You couldn't do exactly what Julie and I just did? The reason that you don't think you can is because no one talks about doing it because what we did didn't cost any money and because the people you're listening to are being financially paid, basically. Uh, they have an incentive to tell you to do the more complicated things because that's where they get their revenue from, from these third-party vendors, but also because many of them don't have the depth and breadth of experience that we do, so that's all they know. Yeah, They've only come in the business that- during this whole big team branding, buying leads, Mickey Mouse process. Now, I'm going to, again... It, I'm only pointing this out because if you don't realize this as a new agent, or maybe you're not new anymore, but you're still struggling, you're not making any real profit, you know, or maybe you're a top producer and you're selling shit tons of houses, but you're not making any real profit, it's really, really important that you take a hard look to see if you're basically caught in one of these echo chambers where you're constantly surrounding yourself by people saying and thinking the exact same thing and you're not allowing any room for new thought. Yeah, but you know, you can make that change today. Yeah. You have the power. I think that there's a lot of uh, sense, not just amongst newer agents, but, you know, agents in general, that they're out of control all the time. And then they buy stuff out of desperation, like, I'll try this and we'll see how that works. And I think all those companies know that agents feel that way. And they're they're pretty easy to sell crap to. And here's the other thing. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to tell all of you a true story. Mm -hmm. So back in the 90s, when we were coming up Mm -hmm. and we started accumulating some money, 
we would go and we were trying to seek, we didn't know anything about investing in the stock nope. market or whatever. And so I started reading books, mm-hmm. you know, and all the books, every single one of the investment books said, don't buy real estate, don't buy real estate, yep. don't buy real estate. Real estate's a crappy thing to buy. And they gave you all these examples. And these were all people who are trying to get you to get caught in their echo chamber, which is, you know, the, you know, security, stocks, bonds, you know, term insurance, whole life insurance, whatever it was, right? They're all trying to sell you what they had to sell because they were getting money from, you know, you believing in what they had to say, right? Right. So uh, all of them were crapping on real estate. You could not go anywhere and have anybody give you financial advice where part of what they said was buy real estate. Just did not exist. Now, fast forward until what? After the real estate crashed. Now, everywhere you go, the financial guys, their BlackRock is now the world's largest owner of homes. They're a hedge fund. You have all these other, essentially, the whole world has changed and now you're supposed to be buying, um, you know, you're supposed to be buying real estate, buying real estate, buying real estate, financial advisors, buying, you know, diversify. Are you, do you have any real estate in your portfolio? That is a complete sea change. But here's the point I'm trying to make. They knew that wasn't, that was also true back in the 90s, back in the 80s, back in the 70s. So I actually had stumbled across some information on this. The financial planner guys were actually trained how to crap on real estate investing because they knew when mom and pop walked into their EF Hutton office or whatever, if they had a limited amount of money to put forward every year into investing, that if that person was going to want to buy rental properties, they sure as hell weren't going to buy mutual funds or you know whatever the hell it is that that you know, EF Hutton guy was selling. So the EF Hutton guy had to be coached and trained how to crap on buying real estate investment. Otherwise, you wouldn't buy, spend your money with him, right? You have a limited yeah, amount total of money. scarcity mentality. But no, it's not scarcity. It's I'm literal. You, there's only the person coming in has a dollar to spend. If they spend it on real estate, they're not going to spend it on your other stocks. That's a fact, though. Yeah. I mean, the average Joe and Josephine sure. only Absolutely. has so much money a year to That's yeah. yeah. So that's what that's how these guys were trained. They're trained to make it so that you had doubts on rental property. So you didn't trust real estate agents. You didn't trust investment properties. You didn't trust any of that. Okay, that same thing is going on right now when it comes to proactive lead generation amongst all these technologists. So I saw a recurring theme amongst all these little clubhouses I was popping in and out of where they were actually talking about prospecting negative light, but for no particular reason. They had these little snide things they'd say about proactive lead generation. I thought that was interesting, almost like it's organized. So why would going through this expensive, complicated funnel to try to generate a buyer lead why would that be better than actually going and tr- and getting, like calling your center of influence and past client getting a listing from them, calling on notice to default, calling all the other different sources that we teach you guys to do that cost you nothing? Why is it that these technologists don't want you to believe that that's bad? The answer is because once you realize that doing what we're telling you to do actually makes you a hell of a lot more profit and is easier than you think um, and doesn't require, again, any money to do, you just need to have the skill set, you're not going to buy their widgets for sale. So just like the securities guys, you know, 30, 40 years ago who are learning to crap on real estate as an investment, these guys are all essentially telling you not to do any proactive lead generation because as soon as you wake up to the fact that that's a more efficient and obviously vastly profitable way to build your business, you're not going to buy their crap. That's true. I mean, that's a, that's it kind is. of the opinion. I, I, I had, had some interesting conversations with some of our um some of our elite coaching clients, our one-on-one clients, where at the end of the year we were going over their gross and net. And it's so funny because several of them said, I don't even really need to figure out my net because it's so close to my gross. I know, me too. I had the same close. Right? It's awesome. I know, it's awesome. And they, they would say, I mean, if I figure in like my dues and my signs and my home brochure costs and like stuff that you can't really live without, 
it still came up to virtually nothing. They're yep. like, I, I don't even know why I bother figuring it Most out of our it's so tight. Well, the way we teach yeah. these guys to run their business. And see, this just saying this, do you realize how crazy? I know. Like, they think that we're making it up. I'm Tim sure. and Julie, they're, they're no, nuts. Like, how can you not end up with only... You know, ten percent, right? right exactly. Know, and, and they've they've also been led to believe that that's okay and it's normal, right? Exactly. And it's so not. That's, that's it's abnormal in real estate as a practitioner. Even if you have a small pe- group of people working for you, to not make seventy five or eighty five percent net profit. Don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you. Let's be honest. So let me break it down for you. Your your group, okay, with uh, earns a hundred. Let's say you and your assistant earn a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, not bad. Right, hundred thousand. You should be netting in your pocket $75,000 of that $100,000. But what you're being told, and you don't realize it because they never, you, you know, you have to figure this out with your accountant after you've been doing it for a while. By it, I mean buying the leads and the CRMs and all this other branding garbage. All the, You don't realize that that business model that you're being fed is being the only way to build your business. It's going to net you best case scenario 10% and that's if you're a team. Now, there, I've been in, you know, had debates before where teams will say, well, you know, we make this percent or that percent. And I don't believe them for a second. And I say, well, how is it that you make this? So let me hear what you're, you know, and then what you're seeing is they're basically trying to fluff up their balance sheets by writing off personal things that are really That's business right. things. They're, they're trying cooking to be, the books. They're cooking the books, or at least they're trying to present themselves as, as they are. Now, sometimes you get these hybrid teams, which still do proactive uh, lead generation. I'm thinking like Chris Heller's group in San Diego, which we used to coach. So you got, for example, you have the proactive lead generation, and then you've got, um, you know, then they'll do some of the other um, passive lead generation spokes. Now, those guys, when they say they have a good margin, I totally believe them. But most of their most profitable business is going to come from the proactive lead generation. Now, why don't you guys want to learn it? So we started talking today about how there's a phase that most people go through where they're prominently driven by their egos. Big house, impress people. Julie, can you not do that now? Yeah. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. No, Julie's on her phone. She's clicking away. That's because somebody's waiting at a place for Zoe that I have to tell them she's not coming. Okay, it doesn't matter. She's being polite. She'll she'll get on through day. You don't know these people, but go ahead. Well, but you're getting my point here, right? Yes. And, and what was I talking about if you're getting my point? You're talking about proactive lead generation being not their thing. Right. So why is it that most people shine away actually? and uh, It's work. It, it's because of ego. Yeah. So, they so, don't, I think that maybe they don't think that they should have to. Well, okay. So let's close this loop. Mm-hmm. So you, you and I both know a lot of people from their mid-30s to say that really from probably their mid-20s all the way up to maybe if they're smart in their early 40s. They're going to be stuck in this validation thing, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to have imposter syndrome. They're going to want to basically prove to the world they're famous. They're going to or successful. Sure. Recognition. They, we went through some of those phases Absolutely. for sure. We did, right? Yeah. You do things to try to have people recognize that you're successful. It's ego. It's part of evolution. Perhaps it's not even voluntary. Yeah. Perhaps everyone has to go through it. I don't know, but the thing is, is what if you come into real estate and you're in that age group, which most of the, our listeners are. Mm-hmm. And there, that's not only that is actually the ultimate uh, bait for them, because it's feeding their ego at the same time as it's making them think that they're actually going to make money from it. Now they'll make money, but they won't make any profit. In other words, no, they'll, they'll turn a lot of transactions for sure. They'll, they'll pass the money through exactly from one hand to the other. So you know, yeah. you come to the business, that's so and, much more work. And, and you're 35, and you were a school teacher before, sure. and you've always wanted the validation. You always wanted to feel successful. You want mm-hmm. to prove to the world, and so you stumble across someone says, "Julie, you need to build the Julie Harris brand. Yep. You need the Julie Harris Instagram. You need the Julie Harris influencer. You need the Julie." And I'll Harris. do it for you if you just pay me this. Exactly. Right. And you yeah. never, you know, Julie Harris, ego, 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 yeah. ego. That's what it basically feeds. 
Yeah, and I, I actually think the more successful you start being, the worse this is because you're doing more transactions, you have a higher level of stress, and they get burned out and they crave that recognition because you don't always get it from the business, especially when things well, you are don't. tough. Uh, so I think it actually gets worse well, as you become more successful. Sometimes when I'm talking tempting, to, I would when say. I'm talking to somebody who, frankly, I'm in, you know they're interviewing me for the maybe being their coach, but the reality of it is, is I'm interviewing them. And, and I'll ask them really tough questions because I'm trying to decide whether I want them in my head on a regular basis, which frankly, the answer is almost always no. Mm-hmm. But one of the questions I ask, and this is a truth question, is I'll ask somebody like, you know, usually most of the people that are discovering us that are realizing that they're kind of, you know, they've been up and down the ego mountain and now they're actually ready to truly be of service to people and frankly make money. That's a lot of our personal coaching clients. Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of people that are caught in that quagmire of ego. They don't, they're no. not really attracted to us. No, that's true. Because they're still their their ego is still riding driving the ship. And they they if they listen to the podcast, they kind of know right <laughs> where we're going to go. Because they don't want us to tell yeah. them what they're doing is basically not sure. for the sake of making a profit. It's for their that's ego. Right. Some they of don't, them don't even want to do a profit and loss. Most of them don't even understand what we're talking about. No, they have so true. again. This is one of those things that maybe if you're if you're introspective, you can understand at an early age what we're reflecting, what we're saying. Um, if not, you will eventually come to this conclusion. So when I ask people who are uh, let's say in their you know. Let's say from 40, realistically from maybe 35 to like 50 on up, right? Mm-hmm. I'll ask them. So if I were, Julie, if I were to ask the 25-year-old self of you or whatever, mm-hmm. if you have a choice between rich and famous, you can't choose both, both what would you choose? You could choose rich or you can choose famous, 25-year-old. I, probably famous. Yeah. And you would have too. Yeah. I mean, you're not just giving me the answer I wanted no, to hear. No, no. That is I, what you would I have chosen. So too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably me as well. Yeah. Right? So there's a part in our lives and it must be part of our lizard brain, right? Mm-hmm. That once that's and I and I have to think that goes back to when we were you know a tribal man or when we were in these you know where we were well, trying you, to get status inside the you acceptance know. right exactly but because if you got alienated back then you know something yeah. would eat you right exactly you were, you were living with the T Rexes and whatnot exactly I uh, well no I think it's I think it is um, it's tribal hardwired yeah it's tribal I don't think you can resist and I don't think it's necessarily all bad because it does make the economy go around we all have to buy some crap no, I get to, it. You know, that's sort of baked into our existence. Again, I'm not but judging. I'm I just know. asking people to be yeah. aware of it. That's that's what your point is, I right. think, is to recognize it. Right. What's your saying that we're uh, spiritual beings in a materialistic world? Yeah. I mean, that's reality, right? But And I don't think that you're preaching that, you know, don't want a bigger house or a nicer neighborhood. It's just go forth consciously and know what you're going after. That's the point. You know, and and make sure it's your decision not being foisted upon you or that not because, you know, you've been talked into it. Or Be whatever. consciously aware of why you think the way you think. And if you can't get that deep, which most people can't, be at least aware of the ramifications of how you're thinking, right? Be, re- be aware of the decisions you're making and then maybe stop. Like during that housing crash, and there was a lot of people that were going through huge amounts of financial problems. And they were like feeling bad and confused and, confused and you know, just totally messed up because they're their financial worlds were just completely destroyed. And so one of the, I don't know how I came across this, but it was a great idea. Before you spend money on anything, ask yourself if you're doing this to make you feel a certain way, right? So when you buy that, you know, $6 cup of coffee, are you buying that cup of coffee from Starbucks 
uh, for six dollars because your you know Starbucks has convinced you you're going to feel a certain way because you're buying it from Starbucks, where the reality of it is Dunkin' Donuts next door has sold you the same thing for a dollar, right? So are you like why is it that you're spending the money you're spending money on? And ninety nine percent of the time you're spending your money on something because you're trying to elicit a particular emotional response, not because you actually need it. That's fascinating. It is, and I think that related to that because I think about that sometimes too. I'll think like. Okay, so I've just done that. Like, fast forward that. I've just done that. How do I feel now? Right. And a lot of times it's like, not really that different than before. You know, I mean, I'll even do that with dessert. I really, really want to eat that sweet thing. And then I'll, I'll be like, well, let's just pretend I just did. Because I feel essentially the same. I just didn't do any damage. But that you actually touched you know on I mean? like, that's a great hack for losing weight, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you more than me, truthfully, you would eat what comfort food would be. You never yeah. got fat because you're a freak. But the reality yeah. of it is, is that you're, uh, you know, you would eat comfort food and sure. you would, and for you, for example, mashed potatoes of all silly things. Well, it's true, but that, that was a hundred years ago, but a hundred yeah. years ago. Okay. okay. But I've known you for a hundred years, yeah. so it works. Mashed potatoes for you was something that, you Reminds know. Reminds me of my grandma. Right, That's exactly. Right. There was an yeah. emotional response, not judging, just was. Yeah. And Julie, are you aware why you're eating mashed potatoes? It wasn't because you particularly no, liked it. made me feel cozy. Right, exactly. That's why they call it comfort food. <laughs> exactly. But that, the, the point I'm trying to make yeah. is like if you had to ask, if you're listening and you're, you know, uh, in your, let's say you're 45 or 50, ask yourself that question. Your 25-year-old self, if given a choice to being rich and famous, what would you choose? You're going to mostly say famous. And, and maybe that's the way it's supposed to be, right? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. And then maybe you, you, if you can sort of connect with the 35-year-old self, you're a little bit older, you're hopefully a little bit wiser, you know, you've had some more experiences. You, most part, you're probably not any richer because most people don't seem to really gain net worth if, if it's not for the inflation of their assets. And hopefully you've got some assets. So you're 35, ask yourself that same, you know, if you're 45, ask yourself the 35-year-old self. Right. If you're 45, you guys get the point. What you're going to discover is the older you get, the less you give a rat's ass about fame. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, you're going to want to have. And besides, your, well, you know, if you choose rich where your money works for you, you're not working for it anymore. Then you have the option to if you still want to be famous, go do it. Yeah. But being famous doesn't necessarily equal rich. It's one but of those things. That's right? the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. And that's that's how everything's so back yeah. ass backward. And by the time that you get back, there. Back ass backward. Back. Ask, ask back. backward? Yeah, something like that. See, Anything I'm saying like it backwards. You are. It's a double backward. Anyway. Double entendre, backwards, something yeah. or another. I don't know. <laughs> we may need to wrap soon. <laughs> um, but by the time you get there, you don't necessarily feel like you want that fame anymore. No. So it's what you all want... kind of times out pretty well. I don't think it. I don't think the desire to be recognized and appreciated dissipates. I think what happens is your those emotions are replaced because you have enough life experience. And the other, other thing happens when you get older, you see people that when you are in your, like I, I see people, I remember people when we were in our 20s mm-hmm. and we've now, you know, some of them have passed away. I know. You know, all that. So you, the nature yeah. of life in itself changes and that right. desire to be recognized, the desire to be appreciated is still there, but it's not as powerful it's as different. it used to be. Yeah. Right. And, and so for, if you guys are, you know, on the younger side of our listeners and you're listening to Julie and I talk about this, trust me when I tell you. And no, nobody's immune to this. The older version of you is going to thank the current version of you for um, not focusing so much on all the fakery bullshit that's being sold to everybody, but on actually learning how to be of service to people and then to accumulate your money so that you're rich, so that when you're older, you don't necessarily have to work for your money anymore. Now, why is that beneficial? Because when you are rich, 
Everything is better. There's nothing that's not better when you're rich. But if all you do is accomplish the point where you don't have to worry about your own personal overhead anymore, uh, you know, because it's paid for by passive uh, investments or what we love is obviously EXP revenue share, something like that. You, when you get to that point, what that's going to do is open up, like I told you guys earlier, my dry erase board. God bless Trevor Jones. I was able to take all the lists of things that were on my dry erase board. Now he's doing them at a much higher level than I was ever able to do it myself or even ever able to orchestrate other people doing for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, He's just that much better than I am at that, those things. And that's perfect. But as you remove having to earn money from your mental, emotional dry erase board, what's going to happen is your dry erase board will fill up with new things, but there'll be things that you can't even possibly contemplate that will essentially take every aspect of your life to the next level. Does that make sense, Julie? Yeah, you got to clear the cobwebs to make some more space. Yeah. You know? I guess we did have something to talk about today. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) So what are they supposed to do about this? Be introspective. Yeah. You know, and this is a great time of year to do that. If you haven't done your treasure map, if you don't have a plan, you know, your business will run you, not the other way around. Well, you have to be really, really intentional. Yeah. And and I'll tell you what I'll... um, you have to be so incredibly careful, more so than when we were kids, frankly, mm-hmm. of who you listen to That's definitely and true. who you take advice from. Mm-hmm. Because generally speaking, when you start listening to the wrong person for advice, you're then going to stumble on the other people. And I know that sounds harsh. Wrong person, Tim. There is no wrong way to run your business. and There's no wrong way to lead generate. Okay, I'll agree. You're right about that. Whoever said that in their head right there. But I will tell you this. There are only a handful of right ways to run your business if you want to make a profit. That's true. There's only a handful of right ways to run your real estate business or any business if you want to be in business for more than 24 months. These things are true. There's only a handful of ways to make it so that you're going to have a sustainable business that's going to essentially take care of you and maybe even your future generations of you, not just through the income that comes from your passive investments, but from the value that you create in the community to the point where generations of people want to do business with you. There's only a few right ways to do that. There's not a billion ways to do it. So yeah, if you want to you know, argue that there's a ton of ways to generate leads, I agree. But there's not that many ways to make a profit. That's, what our, that's where we come in. That's the reason people listen to us. You know, if you're really smart, you're not going to have to go up the mountain of you know, essentially learning all of this. You're just going to take us by our word. Read our book, Harris Rules. Oh, Tim, you're just here to market your book. Well, guess what? Julie and I make about nothing from the sale of that book. And it was a lot of work. And it was a lot of work. We have to pay off our advance first. (laughs) But once the advance is paid off, then we'll make money from it, but not quite yet. But in the the meantime, get the book, Harris Rules, over 400 five-star reviews. Um, You know, clear your cobwebs, as Julie said, of the things that are basically slowing you down and give yourself this time of year. It's only beginning of January to hit the hard reset so you can allow new software to load. Everything is going to change, and I mean in a good way, guys, not in a bad way. Everything's going to change in a good way at a rate that you've never experienced before. Be incredibly excited about 2021, and frankly, for the next, as far as we can see for the next three to five years, all wins are at your back, but you have to turn around, okay? Mm-hmm. Right now, some of you are basically facing the right or the wrong direction. You've got to turn around so the wind's at your back. You've got to actually realize that you're the one that's creating 
the hardship uh, in your life. You're the one that's basically protracting uh, your ability to be of service to other people and be successful. You're doing that based on the path that you're on. So maybe you turn around and you're going to realize that the other path was a little bit, yes, harder initially because you're going to have to learn real real skills and you're not going to be able to, you know, be a faker. You're not going to be a fake expert or fake influencer. And yes, if you're feeling and experiencing imposter syndrome, it's probably because your subconscious mind is saying, hey, guess what? You're an imposter. So the only way to work your way around that is actually earning your right out of that by helping people and learning the skills to help people. I think you're right early on. It's harder because you're learning new skills and you might fail sometimes. You might feel a little rejection sometimes, but long term, it's so much easier. Right. Than than you know facing into the wind. It's the same said. thing as the phases of learning. You know, uh, un- uh, unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, uh, unconscious competence. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's those. Sem- You're giving me a little smile because no, no, I remember you You're proud of me. No. I can tell. I I always laugh when we do those because when you do it quickly like that, it all kind of sounds like the same thing. Yeah. So hopefully they write it down. Yeah, well, we've done that. We've done podcasts on that too. So just Google yep. it. Phases of learning, phases That's a real of mastery. Thing. Yeah, it is. Well, it's fun. You know, it's all pseudoscience, yeah. but still it's fun. No, but it is. You, I mean, it gets back to not skipping steps. So so now we're back yeah. to Sunday. And as Julie's been sort of letting you in on, we're getting texts from all the people that let Zoe's attention. Our seven-year-old's more popular than we are by about a thousand X. Somebody else's nanny waiting on her. And so. by the way, we should ask Zoe if she'd rather be rich or famous. You, you, oh. you know, did I tell you? She, yeah, she wants to be famous. Did I tell <laughs> you that she told me she wants her own YouTube channel? I know. No, no, uh, it wasn't even that. I want to be a, a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Yeah, uh, that's funny though, isn't it? It is. Isn't that awesome? You know, it's hilarious. Is they are playing these games they see online in real life. Yeah. And I'm like, what is that? Oh, I, you know, I saw it from some YouTuber or something. I yeah. don't know. It's crazy. Well, look, so. you know, here's our new business plan. Yeah. We need Put help. Zoe to work. We need help Zoe be a YouTuber. Seriously. And we need to have her start cramp, you know, jamming out the content every day, yeah. whatever she likes. Barbie's playing. She's almost old enough. Yeah. She, yeah. Perfect. Uh, Let's launch her. I think one of the biggest YouTube channels is some little kid. Oh, like, the doing Barbies. Un- oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. Or how about, no, there's some little boy who does unboxing of toys and he does a little boy review of toy reviews. I know. I, it, which is, some of them are cute, but it. it Certainly exposes her to a lot more toys than ever. Well, but he, he who is his audience? He's little little kids. kids. I know, I know. And, it, you know, they're they're not shy about saying subscribe here if you like our content. I know. And know? they're also not uh, shy about calling something, you know, like they don't like it, they don't like it. And they're not it's they're not worried funny. about people's feelings. I know. No. It's hilarious. Unplugged. <laughs> anyway, guys, listen, here's your homework to Julie's question. Uh, make sure you've downloaded and you're completing your real estate treasure map. Just text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Uh, text 2021 to 855 685 1045. Guys, listen, you are all blessed. You're in the right place at the right time. I know we have listeners now all over the world. We're incredibly excited to be part of your lives. Please do us a favor give us a five star review on iTunes. Give us a review but, and also subscribe. iTunes is basically the gateway to helping us increase our listenership all over the planet. Uh, and uh, guys, this is our life mission. Hopefully, you take from us the motivation. Um, and the inspiration then to serve your life mission, which is being of service to your real estate customers. The better job we do for you, hopefully that translates to the better job you do for all the people you're of service to as well. Anything else you'd like to say, my love? That I agree with everything that you just said, but it only matters with what they do about it. Yes. So take action. This Stop week, thinking about it. Stop worrying about your mindset. Start worrying about your skill set and get into action. That's it. God bless all of you. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.